Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Trevin Hatch. Welcome to the Strangers in Jerusalem YouTube channel and podcast where we explore the Gospels and the Jesus traditions within their Jewish context. You can find the podcast version of this material at strangersinjerusalem.podbean.com. You can also check out some of this information. In fact, there's more detail in my book, A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew. And also, please click the subscribe button if you haven't already and tell me something in the comments, something new that you learned in this while watching this video. In this particular episode, we will look at Jesus as a miracle worker who performs food and nature miracles. So follow me. Let's go to Jerusalem. Before discussing Jesus' miracles in light of early Judaism, we meet a few contemporaries of Jesus who were known to perform nature miracles. The first, and this helps us put Jesus in context to see other Jewish healers and who, who was running around the countryside and who was recognized as a, as a popular miracle worker and holy man. The first is Honi Ha-Me'agel, or Honi the Circle Drawer, a late first century BCE, so predating Jesus, this holy man predated Jesus's generation. Honi ministered in the Galilee region. So it's again, there's another context of Galilean miracle worker like Jesus. Note that many of, there's several holy men similar to Jesus who are mentioned in rabbinic sources who resided in the Galilee area. Like Jesus, Honi ministered in Elijah and Elisha country, which is why later rabbinic texts claim that no other person in the history of Judaism is comparable to Elijah and Honi in inspiring humankind to serve God. In Jewish tradition, Honi is known for praying for rain. The Mishnah, the earliest of the, of the rabbinic texts, uh, this is very early, just a generation or two after Jesus' death, maybe, two, maybe three generations, so the second century. The Mishnah explains that Honi prayed for rain during a drought. When it did not rain, Honi would draw a circle on the ground and he would stand in that circle and he would pray Quote, Lord of the world, your children have turned to me, for before you I swear by your great name. I am simply not moving from here until you take pity on your children, unquote. Rain, then, the, so the account goes that rain immediately begins to fall, and in a later tradition, Honi stopped a dangerous storm through prayer also. Two of Honi's grandsons, Rabbi Abba Hilkiah and Rabbi Hanina Haneba, ministered in Galilee during Jesus' childhood and they too were known for performing nature miracles. It is interesting to note that the tombs of these two grandsons of, grandsons of Honi are located in the Galilee, a few miles north of the Sea of Galilee in a town called Hatsor Haglilit. In the stories, they were both, the, both of these two grandsons were humble men who avoided luxuries and aspirations of popularity. Rabbi Abba labored hard in the fields during the day and ignored sages passing by and Rabbi Hanina Haneva hid from people in the lavatory to avoid the abundance of praise. They were similar to Jesus. They were humble men and they didn't want the praise. Once when sages pled for Rabbi Abba to pray for rain, he went to an upper room of his house and prayed. And then it says that the clouds gathered overhead and the rain began to fall. During droughts, rabbis sent little children to Rabbi Hanina Haneva, and they, they quote, took hold of the hem of his garment and requested for a prayer for rain. That's interesting. They take hold of him of his garment. The stories of Honi and his grandsons are similar to the experiences of Jesus, including the hen. 
Jesus is a Galilean miracle worker who is known for the ability to control the elements. And like these other holy men, Jesus rejects life's luxuries and public praise. And people often seek out Jesus for miracles by, quote, touching even the fringe of his cloak, unquote. This is Mark 6:56, And this is also included among these people that would go to him and grab the hem of his garment was the woman at Capernaum, if you remember, who had an issue of blood. And this is in Matthew 9, Mark 5, and Luke 8. Jesus's two primary nature miracles as presented in the Gospels position him within the framework of early Jewish miracle workers, not some anti-Jewish fringe miracle worker. One of these miracles is Jesus, Jesus walking on the water, and the other is Jesus calming the violent storm on the Sea of Galilee. It says that as the waves beat against the boat, Jesus' apostles feared that the boat would fill, with, fill up with water. They awake Jesus, and he rebukes the storm, if you remember the story. The Gospel of Mark indicates the specific words of Jesus' rebuke, peace be still. His apostles wonder, quote, who is this that contends even with the winds and the water, and they obey him, unquote. That's Luke 8, 25. These, this, this story illustrates for the reader that Jesus is a master over the elements, both the calming of the storm and when he walks on water. And he's a master over the elements just as God is, is a master over the elements in Hebrew scriptures. So here's a few examples. I'll put them up on the screen. Jesus calms the storm and God cal steals the sea, Job 26, 12. Jesus walks on water. God tramples the waves of the sea, it says in Job 9, 8. Jesus rebukes the storm. God, at God's rebuke, the waters, that word is used, God, at, at God's rebuke, the waters flee, Psalm 104, 6 and 7. Jesus' disciples awake him to calm the storm. The parallel in the Hebrew Bible is God's people say, quote, Awake, awake, Lord. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the water of the great deep? Unquote. That's Isaiah 51, 9 and 10. Jesus' disciples plead with him in distress to calm the storm. The parallel in the Hebrew Bible is in Psalm 107. It says that God's people, quote, Cry to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Psalm 107, that's uh, verses 28 and 29. In addition to positioning Jesus as a divine-like figure, the water-walking episode may have been intended to point readers to Jesus as a second Moses or a second Elisha. Through the power of Jehovah, Moses controlled the waters and miraculously crossed the sea. Also in Psalm 106, that chapter uses the word rebuke, which calls to mind that Jesus rebukes the storm. Quote, Yet he saved them from his namesake, so that he might make known his mighty power. He, God, rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep, unquote. This is Psalm 106, 8 and 9. Elisha also controlled the water by parting and crossing the Jordan River and by causing an axe head to flow. If you remember, we've talked about this in the past. The other question that I ask my students that we talk about in the classroom is, why does Jesus sleep during the storm? He does this because sleeping during troubled times is a sign of confidence in the protective power of God. In the book of Leviticus, Explained, the author explains that God will grant peace so that you shall lie down and no one shall make you afraid. Leviticus 26.6. In the book of Job, it says that, quote, you will have confidence because there is hope. You will be protected and take your rest in safety, unquote. Job 11.18. Both Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 declare, they got the same language in there, they declare, quote, I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. That's Psalm 3. 
5 and Psalm 4, 8. The book of Proverbs explains, quote, When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden panic or of the storm that strikes the wicked, for the Lord will be your confidence, unquote. This is Proverbs 3, 23 and 24. Many readers may find it odd that Jesus is sleeping during a dangerous storm as water is billowing into the boat. However, in its Jewish context, the story makes sense. The detail of Jesus sleeping is not simply a matter-of-fact point of passing. The authors of the Gospels were specifically highlighting Jesus' confidence in divine protection while his spiritually immature followers, according to the Gospels, are afraid of drowning. Another type of nature miracle involves the multiplication of food. Jesus' major food miracles resemble, in striking ways, those of Elisha in the Hebrew Scriptures. The vast body of early Jewish literature contains few similarities to Jesus in terms of other miracle workers multiplying food. However, it does demonstrate a widespread expectation that the Messiah will bring an age of plentiful sustenance. So bread, wine, milk, and honey, and grain will flow in abundance at the hands of the Messiah. So for instance, in 2nd Baruch, this is a 2nd century CE text, explains that when the Messiah comes, he will, quote, yield fruits 10,000 fold, and every branch will produce a thousand clusters, and one cluster will produce a thousand grapes, and one grape will produce a core of wine, and manna, and bread, will come down again from on high, unquote. According to the authors of the Sibylline Oracles, this is a 1st or 2nd century CE text, the Messiah will provide, quote, the most excellent unlimited fruit, grain and wine and oil and a delightful drink of sweet honey from heaven. And there will no longer be war or drought on the earth, no famine or hell damaging to fruits. In 1st Enoch, a 2nd century BCE or 1st century text, this text states that vines will, quote, produce wine for plentitude. Every seed will yield a thousand measures and every measure of olives will yield ten measures. Jesus's experiences of multiplying bread, fish, and wine fit well within the early Jewish framework of the Messiah providing an abundance of sustenance. Upon hearing the story of Jesus turning water into the best wine, over 120 gallons in the Gospel of John, Jews might have recalled the words of a few Israelite prophets. In Joel and Amos, both of those books explain that in the Messianic age, Quote, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it, unquote. Joel 3.18, Amos 9.13 and 14. The book of Isaiah maintains that the Lord will provide a feast of well-matured wines and then he will swallow up death forever. So right there, a feast of well-matured wines. So that's the best wine. That's exactly what Jesus did. If Jews in the first few centuries CE read or heard the stories of Jesus multiplying bread for many thousands, they might have recalled the story of Elisha miraculously feeding 100 men with 20 barley loaves, with loaves left over after they were filled, 1 Kings chapter 4. They may have also remembered Moses providing manna from heaven to feed Israel. The first century Galilean miracle worker, perhaps most similar to Jesus, was Hanina Bendoza. He's also known for miraculously multiplying bread. According to a later tradition, Hanina's wife was ashamed because of their poverty. As the Sabbath approached, she lit the oven even though they had no ingredients for bread. The oven miraculously fills with loaves of bread and the kneading trough full of dough is what it says. She quickly fetched a shovel, an act that the rabbis later interpreted as she actually had gone to fetch the shovel because she was accustomed to the miracles of Rabbi Hanina. It seems clear from the data that the miracles, traditions of Jesus, cannot be adequately understood unless interpreted against the backdrop of early Judaism and the Hebrew Scriptures. 
Hearers or readers of these stories in the first through the fourth centuries would have understood or benefited little from these traditions unless they were steeped in the world of Jewish law and Jewish texts and Jewish traditions and Jewish customs. The miracle traditions of Jesus were not foreign or fringe stories to Jews, but were meant to speak to Jews, which is why so many non-Jewish readers of later centuries had such a difficult time understanding them. And actually, non-Jewish readers today still have a difficult time understanding the, the real relevance of these miracles. They just see them as nice miracles, but they don't understand the Jewish context, so they miss some of the point that Jesus is trying to make. Consequently, this has led to many flawed interpretations by Christians regarding Jesus's relationship to his Jewish peers. We must also know that although Jews at the time of Jesus believed in miracle workers and that early Jewish literature contains accounts of other prophets and miracle workers similar to Jesus, we cannot assume that such figures were common. The reason why people like Jesus of Nazareth and Rabbi Hanina Bendoza were praised and eulogized as great holy men is precisely because they were extraordinary. On the one hand, their deeds fit within an early Jewish framework. Uh, they would not have necessarily been viewed by their Jewish peers as eccentric or radical, but on the other hand, they were exceptional. That's all for this video. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe and please tell me in the comments something new that you learned while watching this video. And also check out my book, A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew. That was awesome. <laughs>